0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: It's time for the Root and Roots Show on com Now, here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history.
2: Well, I want to say good evening to everyone out there. This is Greg Rashid, the host of the Root and Roots Show, I heard every Friday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and also Saturdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we play the best music as far as roots music, be it blues, gospel jazz, hip-hop, soul, country. You just name it. We'll do it on here, as well as giving you topics to learn so you can get to the root of issues. And we're going to be talking about beauty tonight. And I have as my guest, Harriet Brown, she wrote the book, body of truth, but to get you in the mood for it, I'm going to play right now the Temptations old song from 1965, Beauty's Only Skin Deep. So let's hear that on the Root & Root Show.
1: Oh we love, as could be, cause oh, so a pretty face. You got the best of me. Suddenly you came into my life and gave it meaning and pure delight. Now good luck, I've learned to do without. For now I know it's love that really counts. I know that your love is near. A pretty face you may not possess, But what I like about you is your tenderness A pretty face, baby, some guys oh, yeah. face, But I'll take love in any place I know that Never I you. you have a pleasing personality And that's an ever-living Red quality Now show me a girl A girl oh, yeah. And I'll choose the one with loving love every time I know that And I believe that You know that You need this key So if you're
2: Yeah, that's the classic temptation song from nineteen sixty five. Beauty's only skin deep. And that's what we're gonna be talking about for the first segment of the show uh, Beauty in particular. The book Body of Truth, how science History and Culture Drive Our Obsession with Weight and What We Can Do About It. And I am honored to have on the line the author of the book, Harriet Brown. Are you there, Harriet?
3: I'm here. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, thank you. And I just want to let my listeners know that Harriet is the associate professor of magazine journalism at the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, author of a number of books, but the latest one is this one, the body of truth again. How science, history, and culture drive our obsession with weight and what we can do about it. And this is on the capo books. And I just want to say, I really, I'm really am just happy to read this book. It's, it's a quick book, but very. Right, I mean, you pack so much information in here. And I just want you to tell my listeners first of all your story, because in the introduction you start with how you how you kind of arrived at doing the book and just your little your background just say a little bit about that
3: yeah sure um <clears throat> well i grew up in the 60s and 70s and uh you know uh like most women of my generation i started dieting as a teenager and i came from a family where you know the first thing anyone would ever say to you would be oh you look so good have you lost some weight you know or oh put on a little weight there didn't you so you know, we were constantly talking about weight, thinking about weight, critiquing each other's weight. Um, and I grew up very self-conscious, went on my first diet at 15, you know, with my mother, which was interesting. And, um, you know, really spent like 30 years or so losing weight and then regaining it, you know, and I'd always regain a little more. So, you know, 20 pounds became 25, became 30, became 40. And, um, Eventually, I got to a place, um, I I was desperate to lose weight, I felt like I had never been larger, I went to a therapist, I was like sobbing in her office, you know, you have to help me fix this, and she said to me a a sentence that really started the change in my life, and she said, well, what if you were just okay with the way you were, with the way your body was? And my first reaction and that's something was, hard
2: to think about in the, in this society. That's amazing you can even think about. Very that. hard.
3: And my first reaction was I got really mad, you know, and I said how like how dare you say that to me? Like you're telling me, you're dooming me to this life, you know, of being fat and unhappy and you know, how could you say that to me? And I just I wanted to just get up and walk out, but I did not. Um but I was sure that she was just, you know, i was not going to go back and see her again she had nothing to offer me and i went home and i started thinking about it and i just thought and thought and thought and eventually i realized you know i kind of let it sink in and i realized what she was really saying to me you know which wasn't ha ha you're going to be unhappy and fat for the rest of your life but it was like a paradigm shift that i had to make internally that was what if what if my body was okay and what if What if I didn't need to make it something else to be, to feel happy, to feel worthwhile? And so, you know, that started really a long process for me of thinking about it, of researching it, of, you know, working my way through all the feelings because there were a lot of them. Um, Yeah, that was the beginning.
2: That's really something. And listeners, you can join in. And I know some of you out there probably have similar stories that uh, Harriet Brown, the author of the book, Body of Truth, has, and you can call in at 424-675-8315, 424-675-8315. And I think we have a caller already, Harriet, and we, we're just warming up. Either that or I think the next guest is on a little early. So if you don't mind, Harriet, I'm going to take this call. Sure see thing. If there's some... uh, caller on your line. Are you on the line?
4: Hi, uh, Greg. I probably called in a little early. <laughs> I, mean, uh-huh. I think I'm your next <laughs> guest.
2: <laughs> okay. How well, are you? Okay. are so, calling another at seven p.m.
4: Okay. Got it. All but
2: right. Thank Thanks you. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's going to be our second guest, but we're we're dealing with you right now, Harriet. So, <laughs> so I was, you know, I mean, the things that there are some things in here that. Really fascinated me and I'm going to be jumping around in the book
5: mm-hmm. Because
2: one thing that struck me And I want you to talk to my listeners about this Again the number is 424 It's the, the study that was done in Fiji Because I had never heard of this
3: Oh yeah, yeah
2: now, that's, that's fascinating a
3: famous, Yeah, it's a famous study um, I mean there really aren't too many cultures left in the world that haven't been widely exposed to western media and one of them a number of years ago was Fiji um and a uh an anthropologist and uh psychologist named Ann Becker um decided that you know western tv was about to come in in Fiji she decided it was a perfect opportunity to see how that might shift people's attitudes around their bodies body image because fiji was a culture where historically you know larger bodies were considered more attractive more pleasing um uh there was it was a culture where no one dieted um where there were no recorded instances of eating disorders and that sort of thing um so she she basically did a survey of attitudes, especially among teenagers, teenage girls, but boys too, before that, and, and those were her findings, and then three years later, so f- after three years of exposure to Western media in the form of TV, <clears throat> and it was astounding the change that had happened. You know, um, eating disorder behaviors were way up. Dieting was had become a thing, uh, you know, all sorts of disordered eating patterns, you know, starving and binging and throwing up. And, you know, so this culture where people were more or less okay with their bodies um, in three short years became a culture where the majority of teenage girls in, in particular were, you know, hated their bodies, felt like they weren't good enough and were actively harming themselves to try to get bodies that they thought would be more more acceptable.
2: That, that's amazing, and that's so sad. I mean, that that, that is so sad. And, and you mentioned also about, you know, because that's part, you know, looking at television, you going to deal with advertising. And I think you said in the book, um, prior, you know, up until I guess the late 70s that the average person saw maybe, what, 100 ads a week versus a 1,000 now, excluding um, online ads because you weren't even talking about that.
3: Yeah, and it, it's hard to really gauge exactly how many ads we see. I mean, the the figures really vary wildly, but we know that we're exposed to way, way, way more ads than we ever were. And I've seen numbers anywhere from, like, 1,000 to 5,000 a day, basically,
1: which
2: oh, is a lot of amazing. ads, <laughs> a that lot is, that of ads. Is amazing. Now, did you ever and, think that – oh, go ahead,
3: go ahead. No, I was just going to say that um, you have to remember that in – all of those ads, the images that we're seeing have been manipulated, have been photoshopped, have been um, retouched, have been distorted. So, you know, even when they are showing, let's say, people who are more beautiful and more slender than the average person, even those people are getting photoshopped and retouched so that what we're really seeing over and over and over again are people who don't exist and we are believing that we need to look like that in order to be happy, successful, you know, fill in the blank. So it's really, it's and and even though we might know that those images are photoshopped and we right. know that they're unrealistic, it doesn't matter. It still affects us just as much. So it's really kind of a double whammy. You
2: know, you don't, I don't think you talk about this in the book, but I'm curious The people who are creating these images, the advertisers, Mm-hmm. They don't actually look like the image that they want everyone else to think they should look like.
3: No, I mean nobody does. <laughs> That's the no. thing. Nobody <laughs> actually looks like that. Um, but it's all about it's all about selling products or yeah. selling ideas. And um, you know, it's. I mean, I blame capitalism. <laughs> I mean, I say that in a, in a joking way, but not really joking because I, I really think that the fact that we are a, quote, consumer culture is really what's driving a lot of the body hatred that's going on right now.
2: And, you know, primarily in the book you're kind of addressing women, but you do touch on men and their bodies also. Talk a little bit about that because I know, you know, the whole beauty industry is about women, but let's talk about men also.
3: Yeah, well, it has historically been about women, but it's uh increasingly, you know, I think at some point someone said, "Hey, here's a whole market that we could tap into, men." And uh, you know, let's 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 work on that. And I think I mean, men are not socialized to care about appearance as much as women are. They're not judged as much by their appearance as women are, but I think They've, they're have definitely, there's more and more of a focus on men's bodies and where women want to be thin mostly, you know, where that's the sort of predominant body right. anxiety around, among women. Among men it's a little different. They want to be cut. You know, they want to have, they want to look like Channing Tatum. You know, they want to have that six-pack and, uh, you know, the unrealistic body that, you know, you, again, like maybe 3% of the men in the world Could ever achieve that body, and then you know, and then those images are photoshopped too. So, um, and and men, you know, men suffer from eating disorders as well as women, and they certainly suffer from disordered eating and you know, weird relationships with food and a lot of body anxiety. And I, you know, we're kind of going in the wrong direction there, right? So, instead of instead of beginning to feel better about our bodies, now we're just you know, it's infecting men too, and I think it's really problematic
2: it certainly is and listeners you can call in at four two four six seven five eight three one five and am talking to harriet brown the author of the book the body of truth now did you ever think in the 80s that in the 21st century we would still be talking about this <laughs>
3: that's a really good question uh, i guess i would say i would hope we wouldn't be but um Probably I wasn't super optimistic even back then. I mean, when I was growing up, it just seemed like, of course, you know, this is the way it is. It, it It's it's so deeply embedded in our psyches and in our cultures that it's it's hard to even realize it's a problem. You know, it's hard to even take that little step outside of it and say, wait a minute, something is really wrong here. But it, I'm very sad about the fact that it's gotten worse, not better, although I do see some signs of hope, Um and I think that, you know, the rise of social media, which can be very negative for people's self-esteem and self-image, right. has also given a platform for people to say some other things, you know. So, like, there's a lot of body positivity, especially on Tumblr. Um, you know, so you you can now at least seek out and find another point of view if you're aware of it. Right. So um, I think that's positive, and I think that that's, you know the sort of democratic um the democratizing effect of social media can be a good one too
2: Yeah, it can be. Now, speaking, you know, speaking of media, I want to go back. You have a picture in here of a image a statue actually from I think 2700 years ago versus a actually, picture of a 28,
3: th- 30,000
2: years 28, ago. Okay. Versus this model whose name escapes me right now But she's see seems like, a, you know, just basically a twig And you would talk about that image being beautiful The one from, you know, over 28,000 years ago But there's something you mentioned I never thought about But the images of beauty that you see when you go to an art gallery and you'll see women who would be considered very overweight now But mm-hmm. were considered beautiful then And you mentioned a doctor who says that he noticed things about some of the images and talk, talk about that because I had never even thought about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, it's really, I think it's so ingrained in us that we are supposed to be thin and we're supposed to look a certain way that we don't realize maybe that body, like the ideal body image is, is a cultural construct. It it doesn't, it hasn't stayed the same. It has changed over time. And yeah, the, the, uh, the, I think he was an, uh, a, a diabetes researcher who,
1: who right. you know, it was
3: very interesting. He, he was looking at paintings um, to sort of see if he could find symptoms of various diseases in the way that people were portrayed. Like, for example, um, he would find you know portraits of people with eyes that were bulging which can be a sign of thyroid disease and and that kind of thing or goiters you know which could was a sign of um iodine deficiency and um you know he said he actually calculated uh like he was looking at paintings from the renaissance and um you know he calculated that the women shown in those paintings probably would have BMIs around like 29 or 30, what we would consider obese today. And yet here they were being held up as, you know, images of the ideal beauty. Right. Um, and it's really interesting to think about what, how it's...
2: Yeah. And describe from some of my listeners what BMI is, because I know there are some folks who don't even know what that is, that index. Yes.
3: So BMI stands for Body Mass Index. And it's if you go to your doctor and your doctor you know, will calculate your height and weight and say, oh, your BMI is such and such and you're obese or you're overweight. Um, And what it is, is, it's a very simple ratio of height to weight. That's all it is. That's all you need to calculate it. And you can go online and there's calculators. But here's the thing. It's used to categorize our health, right? So by looking at your relationship of your height and your weight, your doctor is basically saying you're healthy or you're not healthy. But BMI doesn't tell us really anything about health because it doesn't, for example, if you're an athlete and you're very muscular, muscle weighs more than fat, so your body is going to be denser, your weight is going to be higher for your height, and you're going to look obese on a BMI chart. If you're very short, same thing, because your height is so so low in comparison, it's going to skew everything. So, you know, somehow we, we are now living in a time when that has become the be-all, end-all of health when it really doesn't tell us anything at all about our health, which is very frustrating.
2: It extremely is. And I want to, you know, ask you, too, about um, other countries. In particular, I want to say this. Years ago I saw a uh, beauty pageant in South Africa. Mm. And the woman who won, and this was like in the late, it was in the mid-'90s when I saw this, I mean, the, the, all the contestants were what would be considered obese.
5: Mm-hmm. But the
2: men in the crowd were going crazy
1: mm-hmm. and just,
2: you know, and just thinking that the women, and they were beautiful. These were very beautiful women. But it, they wouldn't be considered that in a lot of places in this country. And also I can say, too, for in the African-American community, mm-hmm. depends on where you live. In the deep south, someone who is considered by this the standards in this country Obese is considered very, very beautiful And I just mm-hmm. want you to Talk about that, the standards And other cultures in particular and Especially the African community Because the whole beauty industry Has devastated Many, many African American women over the years As well as women of other, you know Ethnic groups, so talk a little bit about that
3: Yeah, I mean I And I think, you know, I think it's kind of um, And that makes me very sad But I think it's when I look at like the sort of mainstream white, you know, visions of ideal beauty compared with African American ideals of beauty as they have been, although you point out rightly that they're they're changing and they're being sort of tainted by media today, um, it's been a healthier vision of beauty, you know, and and if you look back through history, our history and sort of cultures around the world, you see that there are these very different ideas of what is beautiful, and I think it has a lot to do with we find what is scarcer often to be more beautiful. So, you know, 28,000 years ago when your biggest problem in life was um, surviving and getting enough to eat, it kind of makes sense that women who had a lot of flesh on their bodies, they had voluptuous breasts, they had hips, they had, you know, a stomach that meant they had enough body fat to like be fertile. And so, you know, they would survive and they could also uh, have children. So that was a standard of beauty. And then, you know, now we live in a culture where most of us have enough to eat, although a lot of what we eat is not high quality and not nutritious, which is a whole different issue. Um, And it's, Harder to be super thin in this culture, and so that is considered more beautiful but you know and i I think that um I have seen that shift happening in the african American community in the in the latina community and its latino community, and it's really it's uh it's terrible because bodies come in different shapes and sizes, and some of what defines us you know it's we have different genes we have we come from different races. We come from different families. I mean, not right. it's, it's very frustrating that there's this one image of beauty that's now being applied. Actually, we're applying it to ourselves, and that's part of what makes this such a tough problem to overcome. It's not just that we're getting this message from media and advertising. It's also that we're giving it to ourselves. We're looking at all this and saying... Wow, I should really look like Twiggy when I might have a body that could never look like Twiggy, no matter what I That's do right. to it, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, or uh, for some folks who don't know who Twiggy is, you know, maybe Beyonce or.
3: <laughs> right, right, right. Or I'm Rihanna,
2: someone like that, you know. Because I know I got right. some listeners out there who's like, uh, Twiggy,
3: who's that? <laughs> yeah, you're right.
2: Yeah. You know, but yeah, but you call in again. And I know a lot of folks who listen to this show, they do have issues with. As far as beauty, because some of them talk to me off, on the Internet about some of their issues. So this is an opportunity for you to call in at 424-675-8315 and talking to Harriet Brown, the author of the book, Body of Truth, How Science, History, and Culture Drive Our Obsession with Weight and What We Can Do About It. Now you get into, I was happy you did this because midway through the book, you get on someone that I'm, you know, a lot of people have given this person a pass, even though Congress didn't. But talk a little <laughs> bit about you. You know, I'm about to say Dr. Oz. Talk a little bit yes.
3: about that. Oh, Dr. Oz. I mean, Dr. <laughs> Oz. You know, he he started out as a as a very well respected doctor. He was a surgeon. He is a surgeon. Right. Um. And now he has this platform. I mean, Oprah gave him a platform. Great. Um. And he he supposedly cares about people's health. Great. But he does some things on his show that are not really quite kosher. And so what you're talking about is he was called up in front of a Senate subcommittee, you know, and sort of taken to task for making all these claims on his show specifically about weight loss things, like, oh, green coffee bean extract will, you know, slim you, lose 30 pounds in a month. And, you know, there were were a number of these things that he was, like, flogging, basically. And the senator said to him, you're a doctor. You you're, you know, you went to med school, you're smart. You're capable. You know this is not true. You know this is not true. But how can you go on the show and promote these things, you know, when you know it's false?
1: Right.
3: And I thought his answer was so interesting. He said, "Well, I I just I want to give people hope." And so in other words, what he was saying was it's so terrible to be fat, that even if I'm giving you false hope, it's better than nothing, you know. Which is or kind of mind Or you take a, a pill hopeless. that
2: may kill you, or you take something exactly, that you're to be like,
3: taking. Right. I mean, at best, these things are benign, but at worst, I mean, there have been plenty of diet pills and medications that have killed people or and and damaged them, you know, for life. So it's it's really kind of I mean it's unbelievable to me that someone who is as smart and well trained as him could actually say something like that and, and seem to believe it too.
2: Oh yeah, well, you know, that's what money does to some people. It makes them yeah,
3: money, say a little money bit talks. of
2: anything. And fame, uh, you know, you start doing that. It's really a lot incredible of money but to be made. Oh yes. And I just want, you know, folks to go out there and get your book and I don't want to give away a lot of the some of your solutions at the end, because I want people to read that. But just say one thing that you're hoping for that may change in the next five years or so, mm-hmm. that you're hoping well, fair to enough. see.
3: I am hoping to see us focus more on health and not weight and not confuse the two things. So if you have... I don't know, if you have a health problem, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you have, you know, whatever your health issue might be, focusing instead of having the answer to that be lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, because most people can't lose weight, you know, and keep it off, um, look at ways that we can address it through health. And then the other side of that is we can all do things that improve our health. Whether it makes us lose weight or not, that's a separate question. But we can all do things that are feel good and make us, you know, healthier. Um, and I think that's a very hopeful thing. And I am I am hearing more and more people talking about that. So that could change. I'm going to be optimistic.
2: Yeah, I'm glad of that. And also, you know, I don't think you mentioned this in the book, but what can schools, especially elementary schools, so that's where it's all starting, what can they do? the administrators there.
3: Yeah, they they can do I think they can do a lot. I mean, one thing they can do is stop doing some of the things they're doing now. So, um a lot of like my I have two daughters and my daughters both went to schools where they had these wellness classes and a lot of what they learned in those wellness classes was wrong and was very, you know, very much about you have to be thin, you have to lose weight. Um you you have to look a certain way. So, I think schools can embrace the idea that, you know, kids and people come in all shapes and sizes and, like, emphasize health, you know, rather than weight. They can stop the uh, BMI reporting that that is done in a lot of states now. Um, You should never be weighing kids, especially not, like, in a gym with all their classmates there. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stuff. And they can train their teachers and administrators to not – comment on kids' appearance, you know, especially negatively, because that just gives the message that it really matters what you look like more than anything you could do and you know school should be a place where you know you're it's more about what you can do and what you can learn than what you look like.
2: Right, but you know hopefully it will change. Uh, I never thought I never thought I'd be doing a show in the 21st century talking about this issue that has been talked about for too long now. But well, as yes. long as there's someone like you out there, I know there's going to be some changes. So, Harriet, I just want to thank you. And also, um, if anyone wants to reach you, because I see you have your, your Twitter site on here, your Twitter name, and just, just give everyone information where they can reach you.
3: Sure. You can go to my website, which is HarrietBrown.com, and there's contact info on there. You can find me on Twitter at HarrietBrown. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find, and I'd love to hear from your listeners.
2: All right, that's really great and um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to stopping by on the show today and you've wrote a excellent book very you know not technical, but there's a lot of you know science in it, but just very simple for the average person to read to make some changes in their life and look at look at what's going on about as far as advertising as far as how lifestyle you know how you because so, yeah, all of us subconsciously we're thinking about what Madison Avenue, what the ads are telling us, what to do. Yes. And thank you
3: so much for taking on this topic and having me on the show. I'm very grateful.
2: Thank you so much. look to meet you in person one day. You take care. Thank you so much, Harriet.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Again, and that was Harriet Brown. The book is Body of Truth, and it's how science, history, and culture drive our obsession with weight and what we can do about it and it's on DiCapo Capo DiCaprio but the <laughs> I was gonna say Linda DiCaprio, no. Di Press and that's D A then C A B I mean P O The Capo Press. Great book, it's very simple and to the point. I mean she's you know, she is a you know she is a professor and she knows her stuff and it's a great book. And again as, as I said that um I think everyone in this country should read it, you know, because the advertisers are really, and we t- and as we talked about last week when we had Robert Shearer on here talking about advertising and how you are being, like, basically told how to act, how to be. You can make that change. You can make that change within you. This book, Body of Truth, talks about that, and you have to be the one. Yes, you, you have to be the one to make the change. Don't listen to folks trying to tell you, You know, you have to look a certain way. Just be happy with the way you look, the way you are. If you want to improve, if you want to exercise, take a walk. If you don't want to do all this heavy gym work, running, you know, half marathons, anything like that, just do simple things, you know, for your health. And if you don't lose weight but you're healthy, that's the main thing. You know, I remember... When I lived in Denver, there was a woman had a cable television show. She had to be almost 300 pounds, and she had an exercise show. And you first, your first would like look at her and say, what is she doing having an exercise show? But then you watched her and realized she was in great shape. She just was, you know, she just had a lot of weight on her, but she was in great shape. She would do splits. She would do this stuff, and no one could keep up with her. And so it's, you know you know, people come in all sorts of sizes and all that and it's just don't let anyone try to tell you how to be. That's the main thing. Don't let anyone do it and that's the whole one of the main issues we always get on here on the Root and Root Show. Root yourself. Don't any don't let anyone try to plant something in you. Root your own tree which is yourself. So, you know, really do that. But we're gonna get ready for our next guest we'll be on and 27 minutes from now, but in the meantime, and I want to say first of all, hi to my friends out there listening on KUHS, Denver Radio and TV, that's founded by Henry Archuleta. I want to say hi to all my friends out there in Denver, Colorado and the surrounding communities. You'll be hearing this on a delayed basis. Today is April 17th, and you'll hear it on April 19th, and I hope you enjoy the show. we're gonna. To Today is also the birthday of... I can't believe this, that he's 58 years old. This song is 33 years old. I can't believe this. But African Bombarda is 58 today. It's his birthday. And I'm going to play the classic, put him on the map, Planet Rock, him in Sonic Force. And it's just amazing to believe that. But let's hear the song is 33 years old. It's amazing. Let's hear African Bombarda in Planet Rock on the Root & Root show.
1: Party
2: people,
1: party people, can y'all get funky, So try to funk, can y'all get funky, don't do the latest, can y'all get funky, Yeah, just hit me, just hit me, just get funky. hit me, just get Don't stop it, you gotta rock it, go Yeah!
5: Into that. I, almost, I was sweating and everything I so, man I was dancing to that And
2: I forgot to forgot to turn the mic back on But anyway that was Trombone Shorty The great Trombone Shorty On trombone obviously And that was Buck Jump I hope he got up and did a little dance to that And before that we did uh, Sharon Jones And the Dap Kings And that was that Dip Dap Another dance there Then we did Ohio Players and Ecstasy And MFSB MFSB yeah, S B S B. well, that was the Sounds of Philadelphia group. They played all the songs on Philly International. They were the, uh, the musicians behind all the hits then. And that was uh, sexy. And we started to set off with African Bombarda. It's his birthday today, April 17th. He's 58 years old, and that's his classic, Planet Rock. I just can't. It's amazing. You know, and I was talking to someone today about one thing that's, you know, I like old hip hop and all, but it's hard to see oldies hip hop show. And you see folks like African Bombarder or some of the like, hip hop artists. It doesn't it doesn't look right. Unlike oldies or anything from gospel, blues, R and B, even well rock is another story there. But uh, hip hop, you know, I love the music, but when they're on the stage, you see someone. In their fifties, trying to dress like they did when they were teenagers a little it's a little weird, but anyway that's that's my just little editorial there on the root and root show and we're gonna get we're waiting for our guests now, so i'm gonna play yeah, play a little more music I guess I guess some um, we're gonna do a little gospel right now as away for my next guest in there. I'm gonna do the Caravans because we did a gospel show a couple of weeks ago and I didn't get a chance to play the Caravans. This is let's play the Angels Keep Watching Over Me on the Root and Root Show. Saturday, but this is live right now. I know it gets confusing, Friday, but you can call in for our next guest. The number is 424-675-8315, 424-675-8315. And I'm honored today to have as my next guest one of the co-editors of the book. And I have to say this first off before I even get into this. I'm breaking a precedent. I've been doing interviews on radio since 2001 and this is going to be the first time I've ever interviewed anyone about a work of fiction so this I am breaking a precedent here but the book is so I mean this is so great a book I said I I gotta break my precedent when I saw this and your uh, publishing company University of uh, Wisconsin suggested it and I said oh yeah I have to check this out and I'm talking about the book all about skin Short fiction by women of color. It's an anthology, and it, it's edited by one of the editors are on tonight. And I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna ruin everything as far as your first name. I'm gonna try. It's a Gina Ortiz.
4: Yeah, it's Gina Ortiz.
2: Okay. Gina. Okay. It's, and
4: so the J is kind of like an H sound. <laughs>
2: okay. All right. All right. I will try my best. And I'll do my best here, and you are one of the editors of the book, and you also—I'm going to be brutalizing this again. When i talk about your. That's school. okay.
4: <laughs> it's okay. Anyway, and right now I'm battling geez, it, a adjacent, little cough, so. <laughs> okay.
2: That's We're all, all trying right. our
4: best here.
2: <laughs> all right, adjacent professor of English at. Oh my goodness! Quickly, oh, you have to say the name of your, your community college.
4: Yeah, Quinn Sigman Community College.
2: That's easy for you to say. Quinn Sigelman. All right, Quinn Sigerman Community College, and she is the co-editor of the book All About Skin, short fiction for women of color. And first of all, I want to say I'm glad that you have put this out because I didn't know until I started into, you know, reading the book and reading the introduction that it's read. This is one of, what, five or even that many anthologies that have been Compile for women of color
4: is that right right, right? There have been very, very few of them, and um you know um, myself and Rochelle, the co editor, we felt that this was definitely a necessary work because the last anthology that we were were aware of was pretty much in the nineteen nineties you know of this of of really pretty much gathering a group of women of color that write fiction. Uh, to the contemporary contemporary um, literary fiction together, and so I think to gather these women was definitely uh, important to us, and also monumental for for contemporary readers and also students. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's you know definitely is, and I don't want to give away. I'm gonna give away. Well, one one story I have to ask you about because I don't want to. I don't want to get into all of the what the story is about because. That'll give it away, and, you know, some listeners will say, well, I don't have to buy it now. You just told me everything. But there's one, you know, there's <laughs> one there's one I have to ask you about. I have to know this because it's bothering me. And maybe I missed it as I was reading it, but the story of strange people.
4: Yes, yes. Uh-huh. It, yes I'm going um, you to ask
2: you, you don't have to get into detail, about it, but is it about a Siamese twin
4: Yes, yes, they are, and in fact, the okay. author, Mecha Jamila uh-huh. Sullivan, researched the Siamese twins that were in actuality, as, uh, as from what she has mentioned to to us, is that these are part of historical text that she was uh, researching right. herself for the story, and these uh, Siamese uh, twins actually existed. And, uh, you know, these, they're African-American twins who were born into slavery, right. as far as we know, and also in the story as well. Um, and uh, I believe they're part of a like a circus du Soleil um, situation right. um, where they are, you know, p- pretty much making a living this way because they're, you know, they're obviously unable to work in fields and things of that nature because of their physicality. And also, because again, because they're considered you know abnormal and so forth, and so she took these facts these facts and turned them into into a f a story rooted into actually um these uh historical historical actually figures that existed and um and I'm sure this wasn't only the only case because um oh
2: no there's a during, in fact there's a book I'm trying to get a author on this show, I've been working on this, there's a book about the various types of African-American African entertainment of the 19th century prior to the ending of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation that's really, and that's why I I knew this was Siamese I had to read the story twice but they're mentioned in this book along with some other folks that are really, it's really it's, it's really tragic some of the stories right. that are in this, this book about how, you know, how you know how Africans were treated who were who had a deformity or something and, you know, how they were taken and just put on exhibit. But that's a whole different story. We're not going to get into that because we're talking about the book this evening, all about skin. And I just want to, you know, so um, I want to ask you, Gina, um, how did you arrive? You know, because, I mean, this is not... The anthology, I mean, it's great, but it's not, you know, most anthologies I have on, like, writings and all, not fiction, but nonfiction, is like over 500 some pages. This is under, what, 300, actually, under, yeah, under 300 pages. How did you arrive at the stories that you got? Because I know you had to weed well, out thousands of them.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we received quite, quite a few uh, submissions. I mean uh like you were saying in you know um close to you know a, a, quite a few number of uh of women uh submitted, and we had to uh we weed down the list um to to support the parameters also of the press as well the press has x amount of pages for publication for a book of this kind. Uh-huh. Um and so we we had to select you know the top you know twenty twenty three you know twenty three to twenty seven stories you know that we can choose from in terms of making sure that the page number like you were mentioning is feasible, and that has to do a lot again, depending on your press and the requirements, and also making it um affordable for readers to pick up right. the book this book is is pretty affordable for, for the average reader, I believe. And um, we, you know, the press is also very encouraging that they, you know, want a wide range of readers for the book. And, and I think we've been achieving that a lot of the stories, a lot of people can relate to them and also would, would enjoy these stories as well. Not only, you know, in the regular readership, but also, in academia with our students, and, uh, you know, I use this in one of my courses, in one of my literature courses, and students are uh, right. definitely, we always definitely read the story you just mentioned, exchange people, because students really can connect to the idea of not conforming, right, and, and uh, the feeling of not being normal or abnormal. So a lot of young people also can relate to that particular story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, they definitely can. And uh, listeners, again, you can call in at 424-675-8315 and talking to one of the editors of the book, All About Skin, short fiction by women of color. And her name, again, is Hina Ortiz? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I kind of did it. I yes. I'm did. i not going to say the college, though. So. But she is a professor, <laughs> I will say that, in Massachusetts. But I want to ask you, now, I was curious to know... Um, because you mentioned something in the introduction about, because I know there's some listeners out there probably figuring out, well, isn't an anthology of a book form anthology kind of passe now because you've got all these blogs out there? And what do you say to someone like that who wants to write fiction, let's say a woman, a woman of color, because I know, you know, I know a fact it's hard for women of color who are trying to write nonfiction. To get published Right There's own fiction So what do you say To someone like that You know Because I've heard people say Well just Just you know Start a website And just do a blog And say all your information That'll do it What do you What do you say to that
4: Well I think um, I think uh, For those of us Who are Professionals Or even for people Who aspire um, To be professional writers You know I always say that You know Going you know, the the traditional route, a combination of both, you know, it still works. I think still, you know, getting your short stories out there in literary journals and magazines and anthologies is very valid, uh, you know, not only in blogs and other mediums now, but, you know, people are very much still interested in the printed word, um, and now, you know, now you do have e-books and you can, Purchase books on e, you know, in e-form and all these different things. But I, you know, I, I think that there's still importance put on anthologies and, and journals. Um, still, even even in print, um, definitely as right. people are are writing and trying to introduce themselves to different readership.
2: It's really something because as you're saying it, I'm thinking. I would rather have this in my hand as a book, and I have a number of books on my tablet, e-books. But this is something, something like this. I would have to have as a book in my hand, and not scrolling on a tablet. And I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, I, I don't, I can't really explain it, but it just seems more, uh, with, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't really read a lot of fiction, but it's more intimate. To have right. that here, than to have it on right. on a tablet. And do you hear that a lot? You,
4: you know, I have friends that are in the same camp as you, and I also have friends that are in the other camp where they've gotten so much used to the electronics, and it seems even right. easier for them. Um, so I've I've been in I've known readers of both camps, and I think the important thing is that people usually once they make up their mind that this is the only way they're gonna to continue to read, that's usually what they choose. Right. Um but it is it is um you do see both groups of people, you know, still actively reading and buying books, whether in print or or online. Mhm. I mean I, I still see I still see people buying in print like you were saying, who feel very comfortable flipping the page in the traditional way and in fact prefer it this way. And then there's Sorry. still and then there are people who feel that uncomfortable not doing it electronically now.
5: That's
1: so right. I think that there, there's still there's,
4: mm-hmm. there's still those two groups of, of of readers still pretty active I think still.
2: I'm sure I'm I'm sure there were people at one time Thousands of years ago, they said, you know, I'm I'm sticking to the uh, cow uh, parchment. I'm not going to the print. You know. I, I just want everything written on a, a cowhide or something, or pigskin, you know, or or tablet. <laughs> you know, as far as just say, a stone tablet. So you know, th- things change. Now I'm going to ask you about. It. I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to ask you about another story in here. I Don't want to give sure. it away, but I uh, Ashley Young's the great pretender. I really yes. you know that is relevant relevant to what's going on with young men of color in particular in the society right at this moment. So talk yes. a little about it. Don't give me anything we have but just talk a little bit about that.
4: Yes. Um well this particular story is uh you know, she dedicated it to her dad and and also uh, Trayvon Martin. So, um, in this story, you know she retells these moments right before these brutality incidents and I think um, you know what really what really draw us also to it was the way that she wrote the story in terms of the formatting it uh by hour by hour by time frame right. and really grounding us in what exactly is going on in that scene as you know, uh, the shooting is occurring and so forth.
2: Yeah, it's a very, you know, I mean, all, you know, I mean, it's it's a very, it's a moving, there's a lot of the stories out here, but a very moving story and, you know, just like I said, just something that's current right now, unfortunately. And right. And, you know, right. I'm, cur- and I'm curious also, have you or are you going to have some of the women Appear as far as um, I I couldn't say a show, but you know, give a lecture on their works. Have you done that yet, or is it basically just in the books now?
4: Well, right now we've had several readings. We had a okay. we had several book parties. We're also trying to organize uh, a larger reading of, sev- uh, of a few of them together. I'm um, trying to organize different um, cities right now to see who would be available, but we definitely want to do one in Washington D.C. We've talked about uh-huh. that, and I've just uh-huh. um, and we feel that um, that would be definitely that's a city where uh, quite a few of the contributors either uh, live there or nearby and um, or have a family there, and so so that would be a place. And we've had readings in New York. In Massachusetts, I think uh, there's something planned in the works in Florida, and I know we've had readings in California with different contributors. And either myself or both of us, uh, in terms of editors, Rochelle and myself, or one of us is usually always there. Uh huh. Oh,
2: that's great. You know, that's easy. that's great to mm-hmm. know
4: that. Now, um,
2: the, I was curious about some of the who's the youngest and who's the oldest. You don't have to say the names. Just
4: <laughs> don't say of, the names writers, names. of the contributing
2: yeah, of the writers. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious, you know, as I look at the pictures and you know, all on the front of the book. Yeah,
4: yeah. Just curious, I mean, I, you know. I, I, I don't really want to say who's the oldest. And <laughs> no, don't
1: say any names. I'm not really
4: sure myself, but I can, you know, uh, but uh, I, I definitely know that um, definitely I, b- I believe uh, Ms. Chinelo Paranta is the, probably the youngest of the group. Um, so you gave, you gave a name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> huh. Chinelo She wrote right, uh, the story I, I, Fairness.
2: Right, I, but I, I, I didn't want you to give any names out because some people don't like their ages known no matter how old they are.
4: Right, right. No, but I can definitely, you know, there's definitely, you know, I know that she is I believe the youngest of all of us here, but okay. we're all we're all pretty young as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> you know, we're all pretty um pretty young in the in terms of the contributors and everyone here. And uh but in okay. and in fact it's quite exciting um to for us, because you know we we wanted also to gather women as they are emerging writers as they are you know going into mid careers and and so forth, and right. some are and and I think um you know that that was very also very significant for us is that we gather a group of women in 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 our generations you know in in uh in the contemporary time now and talking about these pertinent issues.
2: Right. Now, did you come up against any, as you initially um, decided to do this along with uh, Rochelle Spencer, was there any sort of opposition? I would doubt that, but I've heard so many stories over the years from authors about opposition from folks and all. Anything of that, any, like, someone look at some of the, Stories and say well we You can't put that in there That's too this or that
4: Let's Say it one more time
2: Yeah was there any opposition Was there anyone like you know When you proofed this Did anyone other eyes look at it and say well You shouldn't put that story in the anthology Or You know what about this one
4: Right um, Well Rochelle and I Um you know we we both had a, a a pretty good consensus of the stories we you know our our biggest dilemma was more so the amount you know we would have right. loved to have more stories in here but um but in terms of uh you know our page limit but in terms right. of ourselves amongst ourselves we, we pretty much had a really strong consensus of the stories we felt that were very strong and were very giving to the anthology itself, and would really complement each other. And, you know, uh, but amongst ourselves, we read, have that support.
5: Right,
2: as you read a book, mm-hmm. actually, and that's when you know it's a good in, uh, anthology. The book itself, any book on anthologies, it, it reads like jazz. Everything flows. One goes right, to the other. Right. It's, it's almost like there's one united mind working together, and that's when you right, have a great right. anthology and you've done a great job with this by having that now i was curious um when you initially had the concept did you have did you hope for a certain type of story
4: you know we had ideas uh uh along the lines of uh subgenres within fiction or style right. um, you know we wanted we definitely thought about well what's going on right now in contemporary fiction in terms of style, in terms of genre, in terms of uh, you know, what's what, uh, what techniques are people using here in terms of writing fiction. And so we definitely w- wanted an array of stories that showed that. You know, stories that some that were realistic, some that might have been surrealistic, some nice. that had to do with, you know, futurism, you know, different time spans, so we definitely considered that um as as in terms of the diversity of stories that we wanted in this particular collection and um that was definitely uh a priority for us is to show that range of writing
2: right.
4: style and and uh and uh sense of uh, perspective mhm
2: now i know someone is listening out there or may listen later on to the show when it's on a, we post it on the internet and also on a, in Denver. Um, I know there are folks out there, aspiring writers, especially young folks who listen to the show. What would you say to somebody who's never written but is interested, has always liked to read fiction but has never written anything, but they want to write? What would you suggest
5: to them? Um, I I
4: would suggest to them to definitely read as much as they can. Read um reading is the best thing for a writer. Um not only does it uh continue to motivate you but it instills uh you know you 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 gather even more ideas and thoughts on what you like to write about. Um when you read books that you know you find interesting even books that you might not even find That particularly interesting Can feed You know, feed your ideas They can, right. you know uh, Inspire you Or, you know, be a prompt For a writing exercise or And so forth um, Like for myself Personally, even when I'm writing Fiction um, I'm actually reading a lot of non-fiction Or I'm reading Poetry, and so that informs right. When I when I write fiction, that informs what I'm writing, and uh, I find what, that what to be very helpful.
2: What authors or what particular subjects, as far as nonfiction, inspires you? Is there a certain subject that you kind of gravitate to, or?
4: Yeah, I actually uh, I actually read a lot of business books. <laughs> Ironically enough. <laughs> Oh,
1: okay. I read
4: a lot of leadership books, a lot of business books. Uh, I have a personal library of John C. Maxwell. <laughs> oh,
1: my <goodness. laughs> Which is very <Okay>.
4: ironical, <laughs> considering I <I'm, laughs> you know, work a lot in literary fiction and actually in poetry. <laughs> Most really... people think I... I, you know, my library doesn't have something like that, but it, it actually does. <laughs>
2: that's funny. You know, that, that's something. That's good to know. And that, that should inspire some folks out there. You know, you don't have to actually right. have a library of this old poetry of all, all the works of, uh, you know, just famous women of color who are fiction writers, Alice Walkers of the world, something you can have. You know, you can read anything. Right, right. Like, you know, I mean, you, you have the books anything. as
4: well. Right, exactly. You have you definitely have those books as well. Um, definitely, you know, to nourish you and, and to also support your fellow community of, of literary artists and writers. Um, but I definitely also, you know, believe that other other subject matter and other genres also, um, you know, uh inform inform our writing and our yeah, and our in our thinking.
2: Well, I you know I'm just glad that you wrote this and you have uh you know broken the ice for me because I have never interviewed you know, like I said any a work of fiction, but I'm happy to break the ice with this book in particular because it's an excellent book anthology and will there be a second one since I know you have so much out there that you could probably
4: write right. about right right we've definitely um right yeah I think you know in the future Michelle and I have definitely spoken briefly about. Definitely having another, you know, like a part two, and definitely exploring um, the idea of a nonfiction one as well.
1: Ah,
5: <laughs>
4: Excuse me. Beautiful. So that, yeah, of contemporary, you know, uh, women of color that do nonfiction, absolutely. Um, we definitely, um, we're definitely thinking of, of doing one as well at some point, absolutely.
2: Yeah.
4: That would be really good, so
5: mm-hmm.
2: I just want I wanna thank you. If anyone wants to reach you, Hannah, uh, where can they go? <laughs> online or anywhere. <laughs> well wait a minute as she coughs it out, yeah. I'll put some music on, like, okay. We'll give her a chance, alright? Yeah. All right.
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> I've never had anyone cough on my shows in thirteen years either. <laughs> This is, this is good though Thank you so much <laughs> Oh no problem But again if anyone wants, no wants to contact you I know Just If anyone wants to contact you Where can they go on the web Any way to reach you
4: They can definitely um, Go to the University of Wisconsin Press Uh huh <coughs> To the University of Wisconsin Press Can you hear me Yes, I can. Yeah, and um they have a website there and they have our book.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to let the you go cuz you need to, you need to get that out. Right. It's a great book. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have you back on when you're much healthier. We'll, you know, talk about your next endeavor and I just want to thank you for being on, but take care of that cold right now. Hannah, and uh, I'm just happy to have you on. You take care.
4: Thank you so much.
2: All right. And has got to take care of that call Again, that was Hannah Ortiz, one of the co-authors of the, along with Rochelle Spencer of the book, All About Skin Short Fiction by Women of Color. It's on the University of Wisconsin Press. And like I said, it's the first time I have interviewed anyone about a work of fiction. And I've been doing this since 2001, various radio stations over the years. And it's, it's, if I'm going to break the ice, this is a, Nice book to do it with, so I'm just happy to do that, and you can check it out again, All About Skin, short fiction by Women of Color. And we're going to get to more music here on the Root & Root Show, and I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to play The Whispers' Chocolate Girl. I think I want to hear that, so let's hear Chocolate Girl on the Root & Root Show. Gentlemen, together for the first time, BB King and Bobby Blank.
1: Here it is three o'clock in the morning. I can't even close my eyes three o'clock in the morning.
2: is to figure out every name that Bootsy <laughs> said in that song, but that was Bootsy Collins along with the great George Duke, and that was the Jazz Giants. And before that, we played uh, Bobby Bland and B.B. B. King first time together, and that was live, and that was 3 o'clock in the morning. Then we did S- Charday. I didn't play Charday at all on here before. Charday and Soldier of Love, and we started to set off with uh, The Whispers and Chocolate Girl. As we oh we're winding down on the root and root show, and I'm gonna get some more music here. And I think right now we'll do a little um. I think I'm gonna do some uh. So what's his birthday this week? I'm just looking at. We're gonna do someone who actually started scat singing. Started in it wasn't Louis Armstrong was Don Freeman. So I'm gonna play Don Freeman. This is from the 30s. It's shaking. The African. And just listen to the lyrics and all. They'll be talking a lot in here. But let's hear Don Freeman shaking the African on the Root and Root show.
0: Gang, it looks like we picked out the wrong spot this evening, don't it? Huh? You know, this sweet music's all right, but uh, we always been a bunch of going for plenty of pimp and excitement. I know where to go. Let's get a coats and hats and get out this joint, huh? Come on, then. Let's go from here. Where we can have some fun, I mean. and the stars go peeping to the rhythm of the band. Boy, downtown's uptown, shaking that african. It's a brand new movement, but boy, what an improvement. You know, the game goes loco, doing that african. Them corner tricks and red hot licks, they'll mow you down. And if you want a treat to low down beat, boy, come on uptown. Better than a black bottom. It's really in there. We started up here, too. Oh, am shaking an african. <laughs> tell you, boy, this is the biggest craze in New York City. And if you don't learn this dance, what a pity, a pity.
2: music and also about folks who are doing various things in the community throughout the world writers, authors and everything and I'm just happy to have on the show this evening Harry Brown the author of Body of Truth and that's on DeCaprio Press and also we had the co-editor Hina Ortiz of the book, the anthology all about skin short fiction by women of color and that's on the University of Wisconsin Press but we'll have more folks like that and if you have a um, subject that you'd like me to talk about on this show, or author, or a newsmaker, or you may be a newsmaker yourself, or author. You can just go to my Facebook site, suggest a, you know, a subject for the show, and go to Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid R-A-S-H-E-E-D. Also, you can go to Twitter, and it's Unifix, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I, F is in Frank, I-C-S. Unifix, and also you can go to the blogtalkradio.com website and look for the Root and Root Show and offer your suggestions. We have a lot of followers that are joining us. If you want to advertise, just go to those same social media sites and just suggest uh, you want to be an advertiser and supporter of the show. But I'm getting ready to get out of here, and I want you to just go in love and go in peace. We'll see you on the next edition of the Root and Root Show, and I'm going to leave you with we uh, am going to 1967. We're going to do the Artistics. And I think we'll do patty cakes. So let's hear that going, love, and going pieces. Greg Rasheed. We'll see you next time. Next time on the Root and Root Show.
1: girl.